Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. So go to Luke chapter 8, which is backtracking. You're like, wait a second, we're past that. We are. Here's what happened. I was lining out all the sermons. I, do, I get away several months ahead, line out all the sermons for the year. And as I lined them out, I either skipped over this passage that I wanted to teach, or I put it in Excel and I deleted it because I hate Excel and I don't know how to use it. I swear that Satan himself resides in Excel. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at a passage today that, speaking of Satan and evil, is about that. And, it, and it's, I'll just tell you, it's a weird story. There are some weird stories in the Bible. There are some very weird passages in the Bible. Some that you may not even be aware of that are in there. This is one of the ones. Uh, there, like there's, so there's something about, about evil and haunted and stuff that intrigues us, doesn't it? it? Come on now. Come on. Wake up here. Yeah, it does. It's Halloween, right? So this week, you know, we're all going to get our kids dressed up. We're going to go have fun. We're going to have bonfires. We're going to maybe tell some scary stories. There's something about that. There's something about a campfire, isn't there? When you get around, like, you want to tell scary stories, right? It, it intrigues us. It, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, but when we jump into, like, stories of, uh, of evil and Satan, there's, there's kind of two groups, really. There's a group that's like, oh, this is so cool. This is fascinating. I want to learn more. Like, help me understand. And then there's a group that's like, this is weird. I just want to stay away from it. Right? And you may find yourself in one of those groups today. It's kind of like cilantro. You either hate it or you really, right? It divides a room. And that's what we're going to look at today. But there, but there is, there's something about scary, evil demons that intrigue us. Some of you will go to haunted houses this, this fall and do that thing. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got to take, a, we took our college group to a, a haunted corn maze. Uh, out by my hometown, and there was a certain young man from India that had never even heard of anything like this, and so he went not knowing what he was getting himself into, and he was in my group walking through this this cornfield, and all of a sudden a guy with a chainsaw comes, and he just took off running the opposite way. Actually, he uh, tagged me on social media this week, and he says, I will never forget my first corn maze experience, <laughs> right? But there's, there's something about it that's interesting, but yet... If we, if we really believe the Bible, there's something about it that's real. And it's helpful to understand. And so really what I'm going to do today is I'm going to enter, kind of, this is really more of an introductory sermon into just what does the Bible teach a little bit about evil. Now, in December, we're going to look at another passage that I think is even more weird than this passage in the book of Luke. We're going to talk about this again in more detail then. I'm going to bring Dr. Harwick, which he's right over there. He's... Uh, pastor for many years, teaches seminary. He's going to come up and help me. We're going to try to dive into this a little more in December, right around Christmas time. It's perfect, perfect Christmas. Demons at Christmas. I love it. But let's start today. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes. Now, pause. Sailed. You remember what happened right before this? They sailed... Remember what happened to the disciples? Help me, what happened? The storm came. 
And they thought they were going to die, right? And Jesus calmed the storm. And they were kind of left saying, here's how Luke left that story of of the storm, with the disciples saying, what kind of man is this? That was the disciples' question. What kind of man is this that has power over storms? I mean, these disciples were freaked out. So they get, storm is calmed, they're in the boat, they finally reach land. You can imagine those disciples reaching land and were like, thank God. I mean, think about that. You almost die in, in the middle of a sea in a storm. Traumatic experience. So let's picture your disciple here. They finally land. They step on shore. Verse 27. When Jesus had stepped on the land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. Now, these disciples, I mean, this has got to be the worst Tuesday ever. Right? Can you, can you imagine going from we almost died, and now you finally hit land, and here comes a man that the Bible says has demons. Is demon-possessed. I mean, these guys are shocked out of their mind. So this guy has demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. I mean, this is haunted story at its best, right? Can you picture this? Jesus lands, lands on a shore. It's a full moon. There's tombs around. He's got this guy. He's crazy. He's known for not wearing clothes, living out in the graveyard. Perfect scary story. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, interesting. The demons know who Jesus is. The disciples were left asking, What kind of man is this? Now the demons answer that question. Jesus, Son of God, Son of the Most High God. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So apparently Jesus had stepped onto the shore. He sees this guy coming out with demons. He commands evil spirits to leave. They then respond to Jesus. The spirits through the man. And he has in princes here, Luke, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So we get a backstory. So picture this guy. He has been demon possessed for some time. He's known for taking off his clothes and running around in the tombs in a graveyard. People have tried to bind him with chains. They'll bind him for a while, then eventually he'll break through and he'll run out into the desert, right? This, I mean... Raise your hand if this sounds crazy to you. The rest of you is just a normal week, right? Yeah, I understand. That's how I was too. This doesn't sound crazy at all. So this is what Jesus encounters. This guy that the Bible says is filled with demons. Now we'll learn from one of the other Gospels, there are many demons inside him. And so let's pause in the story. Let's, you got, we do this sometimes. Let's take, let's take a rabbit trail for a minute. And let's try to understand when the Bible speaks about evil, demons, Satan, what is it talking about and what are we talking about it? Because we need to have a biblical understanding of evil. We must, if we want to understand the Bible, understand Christianity, how it even applies to us. So we talk in here a lot. You've heard us talk about pushing back 
darkness, pushing back evil, right? We, we talk about this a lot. Uh, we often think of evil as sin that we see. We heard on the news this week of the, the Pittsburgh synagogue, the shooting there. That's evil, correct? We agree? It's evil. But evil in the Bible is not just something that we do to one another. Evil in the Bible is not just an action. It's also a force. It's a spiritual reality. It's a being. So again, if we have, want to have a biblical worldview, understanding the Bible, what we mean, when we talk about evil, we cannot just think, oh, someone did something to someone else. Yes, that's evil. But we must know there is a force behind that that is real. There are evil beings. Now, these evil spirits, these evil beings, they are not detectable to the five senses. Probably never, never have you seen a demon, right? They're not detectable, but according to the Bible, they are a reality. So even if we can't see them, they are real. And here's what we have to do as Christians. We have to have a balance here between what I'll call mysticism and then just a faith of moralism. Here, here's what I mean by that. Mysticism is just this hyper-spirituality where I have to go into every, when I, when I buy a house, I have to go into every room and cast out every demon in there. Or every time we see someone that, that has some sort of mental, mental problems going on, oh, demon, that's a demon. That's a mystic, mystic view of spirituality. When you leave today, you need to pray, Jesus do I go to Taco Bell or Burger King for lunch? You direct me. I'm just going to drive. Like that type of hyper-spirituality is very dangerous. But some of us, most of us probably don't fall there, but some of us may fall into just a moralistic faith where we narrow the Bible down to what's good and bad. And we try to remove anything supernatural because that just freaks us out and makes us feel weird. So both extremes are dangerous. And so what I'd like us to do for a brief minute this morning is to press in on a biblical understanding, a biblical worldview of evil, of Satan, of demons, because it exists. It's a reality. There's more going on than you and I can see. I'm going to quote several scriptures today. Again, this is a big rabbit trail. We'll get back to the story in a second. Ephesians 6, verse 10. I want to show you some scriptures that point to not just evil being a, something we do, but evil being a real force of being. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it names a character here, the devil, Satan. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, what we see, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So your fight is not just against your sin, your flesh, sin that we see in the world. The Bible says, no, there is a person, the devil, and there's a supernatural war going on, and that is the fight. And therefore, your armor is a supernatural armor. So there's this danger of self-help Christianity, this self-help moralism. I narrow the teachings of Jesus to he's a nice guy and he teaches me how to love one another and I just apply that to my life and live. There's a deeper reality going on. 1 Peter 5, 8. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, again, names a character. This is the, so when it says, your adversary, the devil, it's not just, again, this big generalized idea of evil. No, it's a being. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. So you have an adversary, and it's not just you. It's not just your flesh that we talk about a lot. You have an adversary that's a real being, Satan. Okay, and again, we're going to jump into this in more detail in a few weeks. But just, just for a little understanding, we say, when we say Satan, what are we talking about? The devil, right? We've we seen probably an image of a little guy with little you know, horns on his head comes into your mind. Satan, the word means opponent or adversary. That's what it means. Where did Satan come from? Well, here's what we know, that uh, a third, that Satan and a third of the angels in heaven, Satan was once an angel, rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. Satan being the ruler, the leader of that rebellion, a third of the angels followed him in that rebellion. They become the demons, Satan and the demons. Now, Satan cast out of heaven, now roams the earth with demons looking to destroy the purposes of God. And, here, and this, is, this is going to be hard to hear and maybe confusing. Satan has power. He has power in the physical. Okay? Satan can make people sick, put them in prison, even kill them. Look at Job, the book of Job. Satan has power in the physical. John 10.10 10 will say this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that may have life and life abundantly. So Satan has power. Now, his power is not greater than God's power. You understand that? He's a fallen angel, rebelled against God, now on the earth to corrupt and destroy the purposes of God. He has power but he is under God's sovereignty. Now, again, this, here's the question. If you're a thinker, right? Here's your question. Why would God allow this? Are you thinking that? Yep, thank you in the back. Appreciate it, Ray. Yeah, that was my, that's my first thought. If Satan rebelled against God, we know from Revelation one day God will come and, ki and kill him and cast him out forever. Why does he allow him authority now? Why does he allow him to roam now? And I don't know, I can give you just a nice little clean in the box with a bow on it answer to that question. But I will say, I do trust the sovereignty of God, and I trust that God is good. We've talked about this before. We did this whole redemption through history and looked at Israel's history through the Old Testament. There are some of those stories. Let's, let's take that when Assyria comes and conquers Israel. Remember what happens to the women and children in Israel? It's not good. And we can look at a situation like that really far, like really close, and, and here's the question, God, where are you? How are you control when this is happening? Fair? But here's what I challenge you there. If you back up and look at this whole story of the Old Testament and what God was doing, would you not leave saying, okay, God was good? Fair? So I think that's how it applies to this. 
I can't give you a nice cookie cutter clean answer why God allows Satan to have authority, some authority on this earth right now. But looking at God's history, looking forward, as I look back, I can say, you know what? I believe God's good. He's working all things to good, even evil. The Bible's full of this, of what we would call a paradox, right? Two truths that seem to contradict one another. So we talk about Jesus, that he was fully God, yet fully man. And that makes no sense to my brain. It's this paradox, right? We talk about the kingdom that Jesus brought, but yet that kingdom's not quite here yet. It's a paradox. And so this paradox of evil is this, that evil exists and has power, but God is in ultimate control and is good, even in the midst of that power. It's something we have to wrestle with. It's, some, it's something we have to think about because there are not nice little cute, easy answers to some of this stuff. So who is Satan? He's this fallen angel that's come with his demons, with his little army, to stop the purposes of God. He can act in the physical realm. He can make people sick. He can kill people under God's authority. He can do that. However, here's where we see most of Satan's action. It's not the physical realm, but it's the moral realm, the spiritual realm. Satan is a deceiver and accuser. That is his role. So, so especially in America, I'll get to this in a second, but Satan is not, I, I don't see, going around just like filling people with demons and, and making people sick and, and this hyper-spiritual thing. We don't see that. But what we do see is deception and accusation. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says about the work of Satan. In their case, the God of this world, notice God is lowercase, that's Satan is evil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. What's the role of Satan? He blinds, he deceives, right? So unbelievers, the role of Satan in their life is that he blinds them, deceives them, or they look at the gospel and they're like, that is a fairy tale. That is ridiculous. That is stupid. Like he, his goal is to blind them of the truth of the glory of Christ in the gospel. So where an unbeliever would come today and hear us sing some of the songs we just sang and say, I don't get it. I don't get why this is so important to you. They can hear the message of the Bible, but yet be blinded of the glory of the message of the gospel. And that's Satan's work. He's a deceiver, and an accuser. His main job is to lie, to deceive. He lies about God, Jesus, gospel, sin. John 8, 4, 44, here's what it says. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Where he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's main work in this world, is to deceive. Oh, Jesus, he's not real. The resurrection, yeah, there's not enough evidence of that. Your sin's forgiven? Ha, I know what you did last week. Like that, that's his role, to lie. To deceive. And we even see this with Jesus, Right? Jesus is out being tempted in the desert, and Satan's just, come on, just make that, make that stone into bread. No big deal. Come on, just, just 
jump off. Angels will catch you. It's little lies, little deceit. Now, right before Jesus goes to the cross, Satan comes in with the big guns, says, hey, come on, there's another way than the cross. You don't need to do this. We can do this a different way. His job is to lie, to deceive. Then he also accuses. Here's the deal. If Satan can accuse you of your sin and that your sin is beyond the power of the gospel, he wins. If Satan, as you as believers, can accuse you that your sin is shameful, that it has no place for people of God, and therefore you are not fit to do anything for God, any type of ministry, mission, no, you know know how bad you are. If he can accuse you, you do not step into the purpose of God in your life, and he has you right where he wants you. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. There's what Revelation 12 says, talking on the end here. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Satan's role is to accuse you. Your sin, God hates it. God's against you. God hates you. You're not good enough. The lies. Colossians will say this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together, right? Christians, we've been, we were dead, made alive. Now, watch what happens having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing to the cross. Here we go. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Here's what this says, that the role of evil is to accuse you. You have a debt. Don't you know how bad your sin is? Don't you know, like, accuse you of it. But on the cross, Jesus came to disarm him He has nothing to accuse you over. Because you are in Christ. When God looks at you, who does he see? A little bit louder. He sees Jesus, doesn't he? Therefore, Satan cannot accuse you of your sin. Now, he'll lie to you. This is why we preach the gospel every single week here. This is why everything we do, we say with this gospel centrality, a gospel-centered focus, because if believers can believe the gospel that they stand before God justified, there is a freedom that will come over you. Satan would want to rob that freedom and he would want to keep the lies going. Jesus disarmed evil because there's nothing to accuse you over. So Satan, his job is to prevent God's message from being heard prevent it from being understood, to prevent it from being believed. Many of you, you've confessed Jesus as your Savior, you've come from death to life, but is not one of your biggest fights to believe that every day when you walk in, you're justified before God? 
And then when God looks at you, he's not just, oh yeah, I remember Monday night. Yep, again on Thursday. Yep. See, Satan's job is for that to be the narrative in your head. Now, here's a question. Again, if you're thinking here, so we hear about evil, we hear about Satan, this crazy demonic guy that runs up to the shore. Here's a question that I come to, right? Why don't we see this type of demonic activity recorded in the Gospels? Anyone wondered that? Thank you. Again, a few of you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Like, I've never walked in a room and seen a kid, like, crawling up a wall. Well, I mean, not very high up a wall, right? <laughs> I haven't. Why, why don't we see some of that? Maybe here's a couple of answers. I think here's the first answer. When Jesus, the Son of God, comes on the scene to bring the kingdom, evil rises to the occasion. I think that's a big part of that. Jesus comes, the kingdom of God is here. He's come to go to the cross, to kill death, evil heightens there. But here's the other thing, I think, and, and Dr. Harvick, I think, is going to help us understand this some. On the mission field, in different places other than especially Midwest America, we do see evil more. We do see demonic activity more. And the question is why? Here's why. Satan doesn't need demon possession in America. He has us right where he wants us. Sports, leisure, pleasure, fair? I mean, talk about blinding. I found myself last night grumpy at 8 o'clock because Missouri State lost and Mizzou lost at the last play. I was just grumpy. We have our focus, right? My focus gets so off. Satan, Satan has his right. Well, the worst thing for Satan is for demons to be in, in front of people all the time and be like, dude, there's something going on here. Yeah, there is. There's a spiritual force. Again, we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. I think Dr. Harwick may even tell us a story or two of some things that he's seen in his work um, abroad. So the Bible teaches that Satan is real. He's a real being. He's a ruler of evil. His job is to deceive, to lie, to accuse, to accuse believers of their sin. And that's who's behind the forces of evil that we see here. So in verse 27, when Jesus stepped on the land and there he met a man from the city who had demons. This is not just a guy who is schizophrenic. Not just a guy that has a mental disorder. This is a guy that is possessed by evil. Now, again, I want to, we'll do this more in a few weeks. There's two ideas here. Demon possession and demon oppression. Okay, to be oppressed by demons is to be under the weight of accusation or deception by demons, by evil. To be possessed is to be filled by them. Okay, so two ideas. Oppressed, under the accusation, under the deceit, the lies of. Possessed, filled by. We'll talk about this more. If you're a believer in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, demon possession is not possible for you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when we say demon, a little quick rabbit trail on demons. This expression is used to describe demon possession of people being filled by these fallen angels. It's recorded 16 times in the New Testament. Here, here's what John MacArthur says about demons or demon possession. He says this, it's actually a supernatural phenomenon which a living spiritual being 
a fallen angel, angel kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion with Satan, who now works for Satan to stop the purposes of God and captivates men's souls and hold them as much as they can against the influences of the gospel. These beings literally take over a person's mind and body. So again, modern liberal psychology would say, oh, demons, that's just, that's just a, a crazy thing for the Bible. Really what they mean is schizophrenic. No, that's not true. The Bible teaches there's a spiritual force of evil and that demons have literally taken over this guy's body. And in verse 30, they're the ones that speak through this man. So verse 30, Jesus asked them, what is your name? And they said... Legion, for there are many demons that had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Notice who has the authority here. Jesus does, right? They know he has authority. They've already recognized who he is. It's his authority. And they're saying, please don't send us out of this man. Now, pause. Who has authority over the demons? Jesus does, right? That's why you and I are not going to ever go, when we think there's a demon inside someone, go up and say, hey, I command you to get out of him. Why? I have no authority on my own. Verse 32. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, the, the demons begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. Weird. The farmer's like, oh my gosh, there goes my yearly salary. <laughs> so, so what we see here is demons desire to embody something. They embody this man they say, Jesus, don't drive us out, but if you do, at least put us in the pigs. Now, verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened. Now, pause real quick. One of the things I see Luke do all the time in his Gospels, remember at the very beginning of Luke, we told you that he says that he went to eyewitnesses for his account. You guys remember that? He's a historian. I believe all through the Bible, all through his account in Luke, he names his sources. I think that's what he's doing here. I think after this is all done, Jesus resurrects. He goes, Luke goes to do his homework. I believe Luke goes here and he talks to these herds. Okay, tell me, what, tell me what happened here, right? These demons went out in the sheep, right? They're like, no, pigs. Okay, just making sure. I'm going to see if I catch you there. I don't know. That's my own ideas. But. When the herdsmen saw this, they fled. I would too. Looked like Sonny at the, at the haunted maze, right? <laughs> Running... And they told it in the city and the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man who ha whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told, him, told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people surrounding, in the surrounding country of Gerasenes, asking to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got in the boat and returned, or he left. It's interesting. The disciples in the water, when Jesus calmed the storm, 
There was a sense of fear and awe. What kind of man is this? And now Jesus, in this interaction with this demon-possessed man, the people around him are sparked with fear. What kind of man is this? Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Again, caution us about turning Jesus into this nice, hippie, sandal-wearing guy that walks around and talks about love. That's not Jesus. He makes some people uncomfortable. He's scared. He brings fear into people. I mean, there's what they're saying. This guy controls demons. Right? For many years, this man was controlled by demons. Now there's someone greater than the demons that are in this man. And so whatever witchcraft they thought Jesus had, they want it gone away from them. Like, get out of here and leave. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. I would too. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Can, can you, let's, let's imagine his perspective for a minute. I mean, you're the, you're the crazy guy. You spent years tormented by evil spirits, living out among the tombs, can't keep clothes on, going crazy, break chains, you're a freak. I mean, you are an outcast of society. Talk about just years of humiliation, hurt, shame, abuse, self-harm. Can you imagine? And now he's been just miraculously delivered. All of a sudden the demons are gone. And his question is, Jesus, can I go with you? And I would too. But look what Jesus says. No, return home. Now, his heart must have just sunk right there, right? Home? Like, home is shame. Home is embarrassment. Home, like, home is, are bad images. But Jesus says, no, go home. Return home. So the grace of God would shine the brightest, not in this man running from his problems, but in this man going back, a transformed person. That's where the grace and glory of God would shine in his heart, in his life. And working with, uh, one of the things I love about our church is just how many people we've seen over the past year or two just come from death to life and leave uh, just life of sin and brokenness and despair and shame and, and walk in to this new life. And here's the hardest thing, and some of you have experienced this. When you walk into that new life, in one sense, there's a community that you gain and people you gain around you and friends. But then there's this other life that you had and friends and people that have been with you for years. And when they see the transformation, they don't understand it. And more often than not, here's what this new person in Christ finds is that their friends that they've had for years end up kind of attacking them. I was talking with someone recently about this. And the desire might be just to run from all that and just go find this new community and new life, in which you do at some point. But I think Jesus would also say, no, let's, let's return home some. Let's go back. This transformed person, because maybe that's where the gospel would shine light the brightest. Now we've got to be careful how we go back in the environment we put ourselves in. But we see over and over and over, and we'll see this in, in uh, next week too, 
When Jesus works in our life, he doesn't work so that we can just exclude ourselves from the world, kind of sit in this little experience bubble. He works his mercy and grace in our life so that we might step into the darkness and bring light. And that's what he's doing here with this man. He's like, no, we're not going to just escape here. You're actually going to step right back in. And you're going to bring light and share what I have done in your life. So it's a weird, weird story of Jesus casting out a demon. And here's our question today. What do we do with this? Right, what do we do with this passage? And here's what I'll tell you. And, I'll, and next time, we're going to make this very practical. We're gonna ask, I'm going to ask questions, Dr. Harvick, like this. Do we play with Ouija boards? Right? Do we watch scary movies? Do we, do we, what level do we do the Halloween? We're going to ask some very practical questions like that. But here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see big picture. My goal is that you might understand when we talk about Satan and demons that we're talking about real forces, kind of what their role is. And then that you might look back and see this perspective that Luke wants us to see that Jesus has all authority. And that Jesus' role was to come and confront evil. That's why he came. And evil wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Pharisees. Evil was Satan and the demons that would wish to kill the plans of God. And Jesus came to confront that. And on the cross, disarm them. One day he will come back and destroy them. That's what the Bible teaches. And... Jesus has come to confront the evil in you and me. Now, I'm not saying you're filled with demons. But Jesus has come to confront the evil in me. Because if I'm honest, that same hate that led that man to go shoot up a synagogue, there's a little bit of it in my heart. Right? That same hate that would drive someone to abuse another human... There's a spirit of that in my own heart. Jesus came to confront the evil in us. And to bring us into the kingdom of light. For us to walk in this new life. Now, the accuser would tell you this. The way you are is how you will always be. That's what the accuser will tell you. You are the sum of your mistakes. But Jesus is saying, no, in the midst of your brokenness, I will do a great work in you. Which voice are you listening to? So the reason that we come every single week is to preach the gospel to one another is because evil is at work. And evil would always want to disqualify you. Always want to disqualify me. But now in the power of the gospel, I can say uh, evil... You have no authority over me. My identity is Christ. I stand in Him. I do not measure my righteousness on my actions. I measure it on Jesus' actions. And when God looks at Jesus, He says, that's, that's good. Hebrews tells us that now Jesus stands at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. That is the gospel. And if Satan can get you to discount that one truth, he will sideline you from ministry. He will. He will sideline you from stepping into anything that God has for you with that lie of you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. 
So may you see today, Jesus has authority over all. He has authority over evil. He has authority over you. He has authority over your sin. And he now invites you to receive forgiveness, then go, go and tell. So there's two responses to Jesus, and we see him in this text. Either people say, I want more, or they say, get away from me. The in-between doesn't work. It's either I want more, or get away. So as we come to respond at the table this morning, may you come to Jesus saying, I want more, I want to live under your authority, I do not want to listen to the words of the accuser anymore. And when you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, may you say to yourself, Jesus, your body, your blood is what makes me acceptable to you, not my behavior.